currency is uh, really power manifested. It's just it's just the government's way of distributing and withholding power. And it's also it's a reflection. Currency is a reflection of the government's decisions of who they want to give power to, of who they want to withhold power from. And they just simply make numbers in a in spreadsheets to decide that, you know, these people will get a lot of power, a lot of points, and we're not going to give these people points at all. It's really currency is the government's money and money is really a reflection of uh, the creators of that money, their decisions and who they want to have power and who they want to not have power. Wow. That's actually that's actually a very good way of explaining it because people think it's like neutral and not um not political or not like picking winners and losers or rigging the game when and in reality that's all it is Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today I talk with Isha Krishnaswamy as a guest on her own show, Late Night with Lennon. Isha has me cold read two pieces written by Lennon more than 100 years ago and describes why they remain important and relevant. Isha is the host of the podcast Historically, which is realistic history, similar to how MMT is realistic economics. You can follow Historically on Twitter at historic underscore ly and historically.substack.com. I've hosted eight episodes for her podcast, links to which you can find in the show notes. The Lenin readings don't start until part two. In part one, we discuss the basics of MMT and how it illuminates the centuries-long battle between rich and poor. MMT reveals that when the rich say, depriving the poor is unfortunate but necessary. What they really mean is, of course we can provide for the poor, we just don't want to. Importantly, MMT makes this clear to average people, not unlike Martin Luther and his papers nailed to the church door during the Reformation. In the same fashion, although with printed paper instead of on social media, Lenin illuminated the same things to average Russian citizens, ultimately leading to a rare successful popular uprising. I admittedly struggle through the readings with its unusual names and concepts and early 20th century Russian history. Even so, it results in very interesting conversation throughout, all anchored by modern money theory. Finally, as a brief aside, both of our incredible theme music was created by Rectech. 
you can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify. That's W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And now, on to my conversation with Isha Krishnaswamy. Enjoy. You can contact me directly on Twitter or by emailing me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron. Patrons get exclusive, super early access to nearly every episode, and they also get the opportunity to ask my academic guests questions. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash activistmmt. Thank you to all my patrons for your continued faith and support, and thank you for becoming one if you can, and for sharing this around if you can't. Finally, I'm also developing a large collection of Learn MMT resources, which you can find at activistmmt.org. Thanks. One of my favorite guests. Um, this is Jeffrey. <laughs> my Epstein. mother calls me Jeffrey. Jeff. Yeah. Okay, this is Jeff Epstein, but not that one. And it's so awkward that I have to do this every time I mention his name. Uh, I, uh, Graham, my name, according to Graham Elwood, my name is, this is Jeff Epstein. No, not that one. The one that didn't kill himself with a paper t-shirt. Okay. I, I, I usually say not the billionaire pedophile, but uh, I, I don't know what it's like very awkward. Just <laughs> <sorry about that>. <laughs> <laughs> it's more awkward for me. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, both Jeffrey and Epstein is very common. I heard among the Jewish community, the Epstein last name, right? Mm, reasonable. I've, I've seen it around. Yeah. OK, so how we met was about three or four years ago. We were at the MMT conference and Jeff was presenting and he said something so awesome. Do you remember what you said that I, I was like, I have to tweet it out. Uh, when a federal representative says, how are you going to pay for it? Your response should be, we will pay for it by getting you out of office and replacing you with someone that will never ask that question again. Yeah, that was such a good, brilliant response. <laughs> I was like, wow. And then we have been texting, talking, and he's done quite a few podcast episodes for us. And he also has his own podcast um, and he's uh, one of the he's one of the cooler modern monetary theory activists in that he's he is the person you should go to if you know nothing about economics, because he's not going to intimidate you with weird words or big jargon. So can you tell <laughs> me uh, people how you got into MMT and how you became such a uh, voracious activist? Um, 
Uh, hi, Asha. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I was completely, I mean, before Bernie, I was, I, I was not aware of or active in politics or economics at all. And then Bernie woke me up and I became really, really active in this campaign. And uh, you start, my introduction to economics, looking back, was his awful pay-for document in 2016. Oh. How are you going to pay for it? Which is still on the bottom or top or whatever of his website. How are you going to pay for it? And I memorized that. And I, and I did a presentation uh, in the campaign office where I was working. It was like I, I ran in New Jersey on the ballot so that Bernie could get a good position on the ballot because New Jersey is weird, apparently unique in, in the United States. And so I was working in a campaign office and I did a presentation like every or twice a month or something called Bernie 101. And most of that presentation or a, a good portion, a third of that presentation was basically arguing over the pay for document. So I spent a lot of my time memorizing how we're going to pay for stuff. And then two years later, I'm talking uh, about local politics uh, in February of 2018, I'm talking local politics with a friend and on a private phone call. And he says, you need to understand how the economy actually works. And I don't even, I don't remember any of our conversation having to do with that at all. And he just told me about modern monetary theory, which I had never heard of at that time. And, you know, I never read about economics or anything. And we spoke for probably two hours and I didn't understand it, but I could tell it was a really big deal. And so uh, he and I did a live stream uh, on Real Progressives where he just continued teaching me. And then I just, I just dived into it. And when my first project was work starting to develop that presentation that you saw, very like embryotic, primitive presentation. And uh, I did it, live streamed it every week on Real Progressives and just improved it. Did the same presentation every week for months. And then I presented it to Graham Elwood uh, I was I introduced him to MMT, and and then uh, I, I polished it and presented it at the conference where where you saw it, and then I I met you because I don't know how I did it, but I tripped upon that tweet where you quoted me, but you didn't know who you were quoting. You just remembered it was from the conference, and then I said that's from my presentation. That's so awesome to see this quote, and then that's that's how we met. Okay. That, yeah. And so, you, and like I said, I love his videos because they're very, like, they're not intimate, like a lot of, they're not intimidating for people who don't know an anything about economics. And you learn about amazing things like monetary sovereignty and how the government is not like, uh, is not like a currency user, a household. Yes. Like, a, you know how household. they may say that the government's going to bankrupt or whatever stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're like, no, the government doesn't go bankrupt, but it can get overthrown, I guess. But then there are different problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Can you talk about how the U.S. government kind of. I don't know. How, what is currency? <laughs> what What is currency? Uh, currency is numbers in a computer. Currency is. Uh, currency is is the money of the government, and it's really. Uh, I'm actually starting to see. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I'm actually starting to see that currency is uh, really power manifested. It's just it's just the government's way of distributing and withholding power, and it's also it's a reflection. Currency is a reflection of the government's 
decisions of who they want to give power to, of who they want to withhold power from, and they just simply make numbers in a in spreadsheets to decide that you know these people will get a lot of power, a lot of points, and we're not going to give these people points at all. It's really currency is the government's money, and money is really a reflection of. Uh, the creators of that money, their decisions, and who they want to have power and who they want to not have power. Wow, that's actually that's actually a very good way of explaining it because people think it's like neutral and not um, not political or not like picking winners and losers or rigging the game. When and, in reality, that's all it is. So. With MMT, you discovered how rigged the game was, right? Like, I hear, uh, you know, people say MMT is not political because it merely describes the reality. But then I just recently learned, which I agree with, that MMT describes political reality. MMT describes society and our economy and, and our government. And our society and our economy and our government are inherently political. So you can't describe something political without it inherently being political. Even the most, even the most, you know, innocuous, plain description of a political system is inherently political. You know, neutrality of money is basically, you know, when you create money, it only, it doesn't affect people's real lives. So like it may make people have more money, but it also make prices go up. So that's a, so that doesn't change the reality of people's lives. They may have more money, but prices go up so that they're in the same situation as they were before. But the reality is, is that the creation of money and the withholding of the creation of money can kill millions of people, can result in the suffering and death and bankruptcy of millions of people. Money as a scientific and natural phenomenon is what most people think that's all there is. Money is neutral. It's scientific. There's nothing we can do about it. Where MMT shows that money is just merely the decision, which is the final step. So after you decide what you want to do, after you decide who you want to have power, who you don't want to have power, who you want to give things to, who you want to withhold things from, after you've done all of that, 99% of that, then the 100% is just making that decision and the creation of money and the withholding of money is just the manifestation of the final step in those 99% of your doing all of that thought process of who, what you want to do and who you want to do it for. So MNT shows that money, that there is no way to separate out politics and human psychology and group psychology from our economy. That's almost all of what it is where we pretend that that tiny little slice at the end of money, we pretend that that's everything. And we, and that means inherently that that 99% of group psychology and human psychology and inner thoughts and politics is barely anything. Indeed. Um, so the kind of, uh, okay, for me, like with, with regards to Lenin, where it becomes very re relevant is um, in 1914, right before World War One. So all the um so uh, all the um socialist parties in the world agree that they will not vote for uh imperial war a war of aggression and, and so um 
but what happens is that uh well they agreed in the conference in the Bern conference uh the german social democratic party led by karl kautsky goes back on his word and decides to a lot kind of kind of like what they did the democrats did with the iraq war um and so lenin's really horrified and shocked because world war one was literally about like who gets to cut what like how to cut colonies right um and uh, so this is where we they we, we talk a lot of, they talk a lot about power money um gold like resources so what i realize is that money is a way to see how to distribute resources is that the right way that's a that's that's pretty similar to yeah i mean money is the decision of who you want to have power who you don't want to have power who you want to allow to have the decision power the power to make decisions and who you don't want to have the power to make decisions and and obviously the real world is real resources so those decisions pretty much you know they always re relate to real resources which a big part of that is is people labor one thing that is really um shocking to me is the idea of how people kind of don't understand the way for example um for bankers ben bernanke admitted that he just printed money right mm -hmm. um but then like it's like a, there doesn't seem to be a coherent idea even amongst the people where they're remembering things uh like remembering things and uh, like like why is is it um i guess I, I like for example like i said like those inconsistencies it seems like people do not really have a very good memory or do they do not have a very good way of um of basically um handling uh, basically like understanding how political it is even though even though it's really really obvious i i don't feel like this is totally related to what you're saying but what you actually what actually came to me while you were talking about that is that there's a real i think mmt makes it pretty clear that we could easily you know do good things and we could control inflation and we can provide uh, an actual green new deal and medicare for all and and you know cancel all student debt and we can actually do these things pretty obviously and it wouldn't just not cause armageddon it would you know it wouldn't just not hurt it would be desperately needed and it would make our lives better and that to me feels pretty realistic and hopeful we have the capability of making the world a better place okay and but 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 i think there's an inherent cynicism and i don't know the word like just a giving up that good things are not they're simply not possible and the and the myths the inflation and hyperinflation and crowding out and all these things just really really validate people's preconceived notions of hopelessness and so they latch onto that where MMT shows that you actually can have a better world if we just simply choose to have a better world. And that's just so, 
given our past 40 years of neoliberalism and our, my entire, our entire lives, that it's very hard to envision that being a possibility and to take that risk to try and to try and, you know, take a break from our lives of, of scrounging around, you know, rat race feels just too much of a risk to us. Um, so, yeah. Well, this is where Lenin comes in. <laughs> so there are two things that Lenin does. Lenin teaches you how to um, get a better world because he's actually done it. Um, you know, OK, so there are actually two things that is really amazing. So, yeah, and it's hard for people to like the, the way the cynicism is actually is also like works with Lenin so much because it's hard for people to believe that there's a person who like cares about the poor this much and who's like not corrupt. Like, like he so what he did was the czar Russia, like you, Russia um, was terrible with the czar. Like they had like it was like they had only 12% literacy on so 12% of the people could read but i was just i was just mentioning you know i i, I know what mmt is you guys know what mmt is but um, you may want to, uh jeff to just give a short okay uh, jeff please give a short thing because um now i'm i just don't know uh, go ahead you're right i i will actually before i do that uh, i'm going to say something a little bit unrelated and then I'll use the MMT description to come back to to what what Janet just said. Um, we had a conversation about you were talking. You just said something to the effect of you're you're over there in here in my in my setup. You're over there. Um, we we had me and I I interviewed you for your podcast. No, and no, we talked you, for your podcast. No, I interviewed you for your podcast about Bernie. It was originally supposed oh, yeah. to be about MMT, but it ended up that it was hardly any MMT. So we just we talked about Bernie and we talked about we talked about, you know, how the you know the just the horror of the campaign. And you basically said if Bernie doesn't get in, we're <clears throat> kind of screwed. And Bernie didn't get in, and I do think we're kind of screwed. But he cares about us. He genuine I uh, he cares about us. He is someone that cares about us and people feel that lots of people feel that he actually wants to do the right thing he knows what the right thing to do is but he's scared and we and and unfortunately that is what made it impossible for him to become president because he would not call out the corruption and in fact he didn't even not just call it out he accepted it during coronavirus people had to go vote and risk their lives but i accept that result and in fact, I don't just accept that result. I drop out of the race because of this result. And that that was to me like it, a, a kind of a follow up on our conversation, which really affected me. That conversation really changed a lot of my thinking. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's kind of he is the kind of person we need, but he's too afraid. He's too scared. And what we need something more bold than that. Um, so uh, it's kind of like looking for a savior as opposed to hoping that he would be a savior as opposed to doing what we need to do. Um, but okay, so if you want to respond to that, you can. But I, I can use my description of defining MMT as as to get us back on track. No, no, no. We, this is actually on track. Better on track, actually. Okay. Um. So uh. Okay. So we'll we'll, we'll do the MMT in just like one second. But let me re respond. Um. That was Lenin, basically, who did the hard thing. Who did the calling out who was um for example he okay so he was exiled from russia and he was in his apartment in munich and he was like doing a lot of 
trolling, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, but he actually did a miracle that had never happened before. He had a bunch of people who could not read or write, who were super exploited. All they had was the proverbial hammer and sickle. Of course, they didn't have exactly the, only the hammer and sickle, but the proverbial one. And he won. Like, after um, Lenin, after the Bolshevik Revolution, 14 different countries invaded Russia. And he still won. He fought against every empire in the world. Like, so China invaded from the south. Japan invaded from the east. Uh, America invaded here. Britain invaded from the North Pole. France invaded here. Uh, Czechoslovakia. Then they like balkanized Poland. They invaded like literally 14 countries uh, invaded it because they could not because they could not have these peasants ruling the setting a good example to showing what can be done. And so, yeah, Bernie's obviously not a Lenin. Um, and we can't hope for like, but what we do have is Lenin's collected work of like everything he's done. And there's a recipe and a lot of it is just teaching people how to connect with each other and coordinate with each other. And this is actually a huge part of our interview of that interview that we did. That was this. you're reminding really? me that this was a big part of it. Yeah. You were describing what the revolution would be of, of just talk to your neighbors that like really impacted oh, yeah. me. The idea of just talk to your neighbors about what? Just talk to your neighbors. There's you just talk to your neighbors. And I couldn't get my head around this. I remember and I couldn't get my head around this. And Bernie gave it. So what Bernie did give us positively is he gave us a taste of what that hope is like. Yeah. Even though it never manifested itself and may never, but he gave us a taste of what that hope is like. And he also created a community of people who felt separate and now all of a sudden had something had something hopeful to uh, to join up about. So he created a community of those kinds of people who I think didn't have that community. And it's kind of dispersed. I mean, we're, you know, I, I'm talking to you because of it. Um, but and I'm talking to Janet because of it. And I'm meeting Janet because of it. So um, that's kind of like what the Bolsheviks did. Um, so what Lenin's wife did was in 1893. Um, so w w back then they had child labor. And if you weren't wealthy, you didn't go to school. You worked in the factories or in the farms, just bad things. Um, but there was a way for workers to, I guess, get a little bit of a beyond a managerial role, but they had to learn how to read. Well, Lenin's wife um, started what is called a Marxist study circle, and she basically taught people how to read. Um, and even today in the UN, UN um, the prize for literacy is called the Nadezhda Kurpaskaya Prize because her method seems to work very well. And people literally learned how to read. And, and the funny thing is that um, obviously, Lenin didn't teach people how to read using Lenin. He used it w with Marx. But then what you saw was that after Lenin died, um, Ho Chi Minh did the same thing, but he used Lenin's collected works. Mao used this, the Sandinistas, Cuba. And so the best way to literally teach people how to read is Marxist literature, apparently. <laughs> um, and they need some incentive. They need some oh, some incentive to read, some reason to read. Yeah. Or at least like some kind of 
it, it just the Sandinistas taught people how to read in five months. Like the literacy rate was at 30 something percent. Five months later, 85 percent. Um, and so it, it, like that's how kind of like the revolution happened. These people started connecting with each other and then they started learning how to coordinate actions and connecting more. And then they were all able to coordinate the same thing and get rid of the czar. So what we need to do is, of course, connect to new people. I don't know how to do that still in America. If it, I don't even know if it's possible. There is like a point. Um, so I, I guess what I like about to go back to MMT, there's a theory about in the Marxist sense, materialism and idealism are two different um, are not what things mean in the non-Marxist world. So it's like a specific lingo. So idealism is the it's more than the propaganda, but the matrix is a good analogy. Idealism is the matrix and materialism is a real world. And um, the bourgeoisie or the elites or whoever controls society creates this little matrix that um, keeps people kind of disoriented, confused and obedient. And you um, so what MMT is a great introduction for it is to like learn where the boundaries of the matrix, if that makes sense. And yeah, that's a good way of saying it. OK, <laughs> it's an old movie for people who are young. Uh, watch it. <laughs> Yeah. Me? Yeah. Matrix 2, I believe it is. The Matrix 2 has one of the, has I think the best car chase scene ever in in oh, really? film. Yeah, is so. it the one shot in Sydney or Chicago? I don't know, but they they rented like a or they built a built a mile long highway um just for this just for this car chase scene. So, yeah, speaking I of the revolution. The cinematography in the Matrix, it's like so good. Yeah, the movies were, were were good, but that car scene was like the were the whole series. That that's that's my favorite part of it. But um, back to relevant Mine issues. Is where <laughs> I, I loved um, for me it was the costuming. Like it was so good. The costumes, the everything was. It was a very good visual experience. I yes. Think. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, but um, so can you explain to people what modern monetary theory or MMT is? Um, uh, take as long or as little as you need. We're here. Sure. Uh, okay. So the matrix is, you know, you think you, you live in this, you live in a video game and you think it's reality. And then when you unplug from the video game, it's very uncomfortable because you're unfamiliar. Um, and it's like, the, I, I learned an analogy about being chained in a cave for your whole life. And you see outside the door of the, the, the door of the cave, you see the shadow of a tree, but you never see the tree itself. And so then finally, once you become unchained years and years later, you go out and you see the tree itself and it doesn't feel real to you. The shadow is what's real to you. And it takes a long time for you to be able to get your mind around what, you know, that that's reality and that's in the shadow is a reflection of the reality and as opposed or a consequence or whatever of the reality as opposed, you know, so it's very hard for you to, to make that switch. Uh, that tree, your understanding that the shadow is reality, your, your false belief that the shadow is the heart of that entity. The tree and the shadow haven't changed at all. Your perception of it has changed. And it, and MMT does the same thing for economics. So 
we currently have, you know, lots of, of understandings of how the economy works and our fears about the economy. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch. I'm going to just switch that. I'm going to start over again with, with, with this part. If we have a supercar, but we only allow it to go 25 miles an hour, <laughs> and we say that it can only go 25 miles an hour, then we are throttling its capabilities. We are, we are not allowing it to do what it is clearly capable of doing. And so mainstream economics will come and say, well, this car is only capable of going 25. And if you dare make it try and go even to 40 miles an hour, the car will break down and explode and we're all going to die. Oh, my God. That's exactly what they. OK, I'm going to sorry. That's exactly what they do with um, uh, communism, too, because they just like well, they'll give you like half the picture. But for example, they'll say something like, OK, half of it is just like totally made up nonsense. But half the time they'll say something like, blah, blah, blah. But then if you look at before, like, like you, okay. So, so for example, so, so I, I think, I think what you're saying is that we say, oh, the car can go faster. And then say, oh, well, that's, we're going to go like a rocket ship and we're going to crash into the wall. Like, yes, yes. We can, we can, the, the, the cliff is 12 miles away and we can take a step towards it. Oh, but then exactly. we're definitely going to plummet off of the cliff. Like we're not capable of taking a step in that direction without going all the way and fall, falling off the cliff. We're going to drink a cup. Well, we have the capability of drinking water. Oh, well, then we're clearly going to drown ourselves in our own water. Oh, we have the capability of doing fire. Oh, well, then clearly everything on the planet is going to burn down and we have no capabilities of controlling that, that, that technology, that energy in any way. We are incapable. Yes, 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 exactly. Um, okay, so. Um, Which is like, I trust myself to be able to handle fire. I don't trust those people to handle it. I trust myself to be able to handle uh, uh, money, be able to create currency. I don't trust those politicians to be able to create currency. They'll create hyperinflation. I would handle it okay, but they oh, wouldn't. Oh, no, 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 hold on. Uh, let's do the hyperinflation myth once and for all. Hjatmar Schacht, the German finance minister, wrote it in his bloody book called The Magic of Money, where he let the banks basically print their own currency in um, Weimar, Germany. And so if you don't let private banks print their own money. You don't have to worry about hyperinflation. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. It's like the, the like the everyone like he and he literally admitted this in a book. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um that's a, that I always do this because like uh, everyone brings that stupid Weimar Germany and they're like, okay, and then the Holocaust happened. It's like, no, don't let banks print their own money and you'll never have the like whatever happened in 1922 Germany. It, it's not a great analogy, but it's kind of like it's kind of like comparing a lemonade stand to Amazon. It's just their, you know, their 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 setups are so different to be able to to compare them in any way is ridiculous. And and it's Weimar Germany to you know the United States or the UK. And, and oh, or okay, but basically you, the the reason why that happened was because he let banks print their own money. Um, don't let them do that. <laughs> like it's not that hard. Um, but what this is exactly what I noticed is the way the system is quote unquote misinformed is that they always like scare people against their own interests. Like they're sure. like, oh my God, communism kills blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, okay, so what did your whatever uncle dissent about? What was his opinion on the final solution to the Jewish question? Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. That was kind of good that they got rid of him. You know what I mean? Like they'll say something like, "Oh my God, they got." So it's the same exact thing to anything. Even like, okay, so MMT is like one step towards um just understanding the world better. Even that is like demonized so much. 
so you're absolutely right. They're they're like basically saying this duck is going to go turn into a mega killer duck and kill everyone or something like that. And that's how ridiculous it is once you realize what they're saying, <laughs> right? Right, right. And, and, and MMT is like uh, mainstream economics is the world is blurry, and you shouldn't try and you shouldn't try and see it clearly because you you have to have a you know a, a doctorate from Harvard in order to be able to do it. So you shouldn't try. The, the economy is blurry. It's scary. It's dark. And MMT pulls back the curtain and shows that it's actually you know it's actually quite clear and simple. Oh, and yeah. another another analogy is it's blurry. And MMT is a pair of glasses that you can see it clearly. Okay. The economy doesn't change at all. It's just your perception of it does. But you also you understand like uh, who is doing what and what they're capable of doing and what they refuse to do and things like that. They use the the blurriness as an excuse to point to something outside of themselves, something that no one can control to excuse their withholding of what's desperately needed. So they use they in, instead of instead of saying I don't want people to have health care because I want my donors to be able to profit because I get a cut of that profit. Instead, they say, oh, hyperinflation or, or crowding out or, or inflation or, or you know, whatever, whatever, to point to something that is scientific and natural that no one can change, so-called. That's the reason that I can't give you health care. That's the shield that they hide behind to, to just blatantly withhold what you desperately need. That's absolutely right. Um, so can you quickly explain what modern monetary theory, like what's the theory with modern monetary theory? Just uh, sure. Okay. So MMT, MMT is a lens of, that you look through at our current economy and see it as it actually is. Where with mainstream, the lens that they give you that you look through is all obscured and blurry and dark, and it's just hopeless and helpless and MMT has a better lens, a more convincing lens, as far as you and I are concerned. We believe it is a more convincing and obvious lens through which to look at our economy as it actually and already is. We are currency users. The government, the central government, the national government is a currency issuer. They're the only creator of the allowance, of allowance oh my gosh, uh, the only creator of the US dollar. They're the only ones that are allowed to create it. So their reality is not just they have more flexibility than us. Their reality is completely just not even worth discussing a comparison to. It is opposite world. And my analogy is allowance. My, I give my son allowance and I actually do do what I'm about to say. I give my son allowance. And the way that I keep track of it is in a text document in a Google Doc. His allowance is a number of how much he currently has. I add 15 to it every Sunday. His allowance is a number. His allowance isn't money. So when he has whatever, $100 in allowance after however long, then he'll say, I want 25 bucks. I want to buy something. So I lower that number by 25 instead of 100. Now it's 75. And then I give him 25 US dollars. And now he can go out and buy stuff. So allowance is nothing more than points in a text document as far as me and my son are concerned. I issue the allowance. He uses the allowance. He has no way to change that number. And it's no different than with the government issuing currency. That's their way of keeping track of the points that everybody has. And I choose how much allowance my son has and my other son doesn't have or whatever. And the government chooses how many points 
their citizens should have. This person should have a lot. This person shouldn't have a lot. It's just to them, it's just a number in a text document. For them more specifically, it's a number in a cell in a spreadsheet at, at the computer at the banks or at the central bank. So for the users of the allowance, for the users of the currency, money is real. It's a real thing. It's sometimes it's physical things. It, it, we can't create it. We can't destroy it. All we can do is, is exchange it with other people. So the reality for currency users is completely different than the reality for a currency issuer. It's upside down. We have to get, we have to find money before we can spend it. We have to get it before we can spend it. And it's the opposite with the currency issuer. They have to spend it before they can get it. And that reality changes everything. And so all of these myths of, hy of hyperinflation, crowding out and GDP to debt to GDP ratio and the national debt and, and lending money to the government, the government borrows money and you know, their, their bonds, all of these issues are not just you know, really, really different. It's opposite world. Yeah. It's completely opposite world. And so for, but they, they prey upon the ignorance that we, in, in, uh, we accidentally interpret those terms in our own currency user sense. So when they say the government borrows, yeah, there's a technical ridiculous definition for that, but that has nothing to do with our definition of borrow, where if I don't borrow this money, I'm not going to have money. I can't pay my bills. I have to pull out a credit card. I'm going to go bankrupt and all these things. They want us to misunderstand it in that way, and they don't stop us from misunderstanding it in that way. Be but they've created these terms that are meaningless in the issuer sense. And yet we misinterpret those in the way that they want us to misinterpret them, which makes it such that they, if, if those terms were in the currency user sense, then the government really shouldn't do much for its people because they only have very limited resources just like we do, only limited money just like we do. They would basically be a big currency user. And a big currency user has some advantages, but a currency issuer is like off the charts, infinitely more flexibility than even that. So I know that that was kind of all over the place, but I no, feel that like- that was perfect actually. Um, Cause it also reminded me of um, when I was in Russia at the economic conference, um, I remember watching something and like there was a video clip where Putin said, oh, well, like we want to build some highway and we can either print money or raise taxes. Like he said it straight up. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Um, so, yes, the there obviously like there's a difference in the whole education system, lots of differences. But it was weird just to see somebody just like say it straight up, like we can either raise taxes or print money and then. Uh, so yes, issue. I'll, 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 let me add one final thing to that. And that is MMT shows at its heart. I think that if we can, if we, if something needs to be done and we have the people and things that are ready and waiting to do them, then we can do them. And yeah. there is, there's no issues of inflation. There's no crowding out. There's no, there's no issues of, you know, long-term fiscal sustainability of government spending and all that ridiculous stuff. If we have things that need to be done and we have the things and the people ready to do them, then we can do them. And it has nothing to do with money. Nope. So. Absolutely. And um, also um, that's exactly 
it. Um, and then what Lenin shows you is it can it, look, we've done it. It's worked. It's worked very well. Um, of course. And it's kind of funny because in America, they OK, so there's a good reason why the stupid like anti-communist propaganda works pretty well in America, but not anywhere else in the world. <laughs> Mostly because America is the highest up on the food chain. And uh, like, even if you're poor in America, like you're not working in a coal mine, uh, you're not working in a cobalt mine as a four year old, five year old, I don't know, eight year old, whatever age they have child mm -hmm. slaves at. Mm -hmm. So, so the like the better off you are, the more you can be lied to by the uh, people in power because mm. you're you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I, I recently learned that that McMansions are basically mm -hmm. a tool of the government to divide the people up to avoid the Russian Revolution because it 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 really? dangles. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I didn't I didn't I did an interview on this. Yeah, I did an interview on this. So so Oh my god. Okay, can we re-air it on my podcast? Like that's so uh, can you just Oh of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Oh my god, how come you never told me about this? Well, I'm telling you about it now. Um okay. I did an interview with a, a a graduate student who wrote a paper on this topic, and his professor was like gobsmacked, who teaches the policy since the very beginning, since I, I think right after the Russian Revolution. 1917. To dangle big homes in front of white people's faces, overly big homes in front of white people's faces, so that they have luxury and also keeping black people out, black and brown people out through zoning and, and redlining and all these things as a method to keep the people divided to avoid the Russian Revolution or something like the, a revolution such as the Russian Revolution. And it, it's all over the United States. McMansions are I all over the United States. Suburbs were, I always made the joke of that suburbs were like a conspiracy, but I'm glad you proved it to me. <laughs> McMansions, McMansions are the luxury that the semi-privileged have that they fear losing. And the and what they compare themselves to is the destitution, relative destitution of black and brown neighborhoods in those same countries. So they keep those. I mean, now I'm starting to get into just my kind no, of no, instinct about it as no, opposed no, to great. really understanding that these black and brown neighborhoods are deliberately kept down in pot and impoverished. And that is what the people in the McMansions fear ha becoming. And so so that is how people get divided. It's all over the country. I mean, it's, it's like the molecular level of our country. And so that they're protecting their privilege is the fear of avoiding becoming not having a McMansion. So it's like, like every level, every level that you're at, you don't feel successful. Like, oh, I'm a millionaire, but I, I focus my I focus my vision, my my I focus on people wealthier than me. So I'm not a 10 millionaire. So I'm I'm struggling, you know, and every level has that has the, the what they fear looking down and what they wish they were looking up. And uh, I, I forget where I, I lost where I was going. No, with no, it, no, but but, it, but but that was a great. Yeah, I didn't consider that that this would be kind of appropriate for for your podcast. Yeah. Oh, Mara, please, like, like I'm going to put it if you, if you send it to me, I'm just going to like if you can just change the title and. Sure, it's part two of, of a podcast, but it's pretty well. Oh my, well God, please. oh, my God. This is like my favorite. Oh, I'm like, why have you withheld this for me? Sorry. So the other piece of it is fearing that I will. Oh, yeah, I want to help these people. I'm woke. I watch MSNBC and I really care. But the only way to actually help these people, according to MSNBC, 
is if I am taxed to the hilt. And there are millions of desperate people. So the only way to help these desperate people is for me to be taxed out of existence and for me to lose all my privilege. <clears throat> so the taxpayer myth, which is unambiguously based on a foundation of white supremacy, is what is the other element, as another big element of those people in McMansions who are woke and, and try and you know, care about their fellow man, but are actually fearful of actual good politicians because they think that these bold policies will result in their taxes being raised sky high because there are millions of people suffering below them. So the only way to help them is to destroy me. It is the scarcity. It is the, what's it called? Myth of scarcity. The idea of if the only way to help someone is to hurt somebody else. So there's a, there's a, there's a term for that. I can't think of Pareto it. efficiency. You, no, there's a, there's another term, but anyway, it's just the idea of the Pro only way to help millions is to hurt other people is to take from other people. The only way to give to one people is to take from other people. That's the only way possible where MMT shows, no, we can just help other people. You can just, you can just, you know, oh, we, we need to divide the pie up differently because this guy has too much pie where I just re interviewed someone recently and said, uh, we can just make another pie. Yeah. That's what MMT shows. Yeah. We can make as many pies as we want. Well, I mean, within reason, but, but, but as long as we have, if something needs to be done and we have the things to do it with, we can do it. If we have the ingredients for making another pie, we can make another pie. It's that simple. And clearly we have a lot of ingredients available to us. Exactly. Um, but what happens is that what people Americans don't realize is that when they look at um, the Russian revolution, like when they look at, okay, so the first thing is that uh, America had a fascist only policy. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but I did. Um, actually, I did say that TikTok, so I don't know why I'm not saying it now. Um, but what they don't realize is if you're going to get like somebody who's related to the czar and when they cry about oppression, it means they don't have a servant or something like that. And then so when you're like, but if you only get that, you're like, but you don't actually get what the real oppression is. It, so it's kind of like everything here is crafted for that. Like all the propaganda is crafted for that middle like McMansion livers to like be like, oh, my God, we can't do communism because it, it kills 100 trillion gazillion people or whatever just because of that. And so um, so it's kind of like everything. Everything is um, crafted in a way to invent a reality for them that is that causes them to be just like like not see a world outside of themselves, not see suffering, also be scared of losing whatever little thing they have, just like everything. You it's know what as, I mean? It is currently, this is as good as it gets. This yes. Is, this is currently as good as it gets. For them. This, that's the propaganda. This is as good as it gets. So trying to make life good for anybody else, clearly you're already at the wall. You're already beyond your limits. So trying to improve for anybody else, clearly... I'm already struggling because everybody is made to struggle. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is that, yes, some people will be worse off. But what is worse off? Like, does everyone need Does Jeff Bezos need a yacht to launch his yacht, his super yacht? I don't understand the mechanics of his super yacht. Let me look it up. Um, and um, 
is it okay that Jeff Bezos gives up his super yacht so that we? Oh my God! Oh my God! What the hell? What the? Okay, Janet, can we put this on the screen and have Jeff react to this too? The super yacht. The super yacht is so big it needs its own yacht. I mean, honestly, I'm really not that surprised. It's it's ex, it's excess to excess. It's no, excess no, no, to an infinite degree. Five hundred million dollars is how I know. much. The- yeah, it's 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 excess to it's it's just pushing the boundaries of of I I don't even know. It's it's five hundred million, a half a billion dollar yacht. Yeah, it's 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 basically. I don't know. I mean. I'm honestly not surprised. I'm honestly not surprised. No, I didn't hear about this. And it's it's completely obscene. But it's the art of obscenity. That's really all it is. That, so that's no, exactly I, what the Zar so did. I, I'm really, I mean, the fact that Bezos is is pushing the art of obscenity, uh, obs, yeah, obscen, obscenity, obscene, is really not that surprising to me, honestly. I mean, they want to go to Mars, you know, being they're, they're, they're preparing to leave the planet that they're destroying. But, you know, it's... it's that's not going to happen. Well, of course, it's not going to happen, but that that's their that's their current theory. Jesus Christ. And it's so stupid, too. But of course. Oh, my. Exactly. So this is the kind of like, yes, some people may be worse off. But what is worse off? Uh, And it's and we don't need he can have his yacht. He can have his his yacht. He can have. But I'm saying I'm saying he can have his yacht and we could still give people Medicare for all and cancel their debt and start focusing on, on climate change and give people a job guarantee, especially because once those things happen, then people are going to start to be healthy and then they're going to turn around and go about that yacht. So we don't need to do anything about his yacht. We just need to give people stuff. We need to give people what they desperately need because once they become healthier and they stop bleeding, then they'll be able to turn around for themselves and say about that yacht. We don't need to worry about his yacht. We don't need to get take his yacht away in order to get this stuff. What he, fe- yeah, yeah, of course. And what he fears more is us giving people stuff. It's like, uh, what because do we rich- can get workers? Like, if, if you, um, for example, if you, uh, if you let worker, like, basically, this is what Lenin talks about. If you, if all the workers collectively are like, nope, we ain't working. He's not getting his profits. Because, yeah, of course, if the workers are given an alternative, then, then, yeah. And, um, damn, what was I going to say? We're uh, talking about just like, it's not like you're going to be starving. It's like you might have like, not no super yacht, but everyone goes to school and everyone has food. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, but what, what people don't realize is when you have like people who are super wealthy and even they, when they lose a little bit, they act totally crazy. And you can't actually like, like you kind of have to read between the lines and ask them specific questions. And it usually cannot like most of this anti like the stupid propaganda that American media pushes cannot withstand even the most simple interrogation of what? <laughs> right. Yep. Actually, okay. a really a really amazing book to uh you know, kind of read what we're up against with Jeff Bezos and, and, you know, super luxury and half billion dollar yachts of what we're really up against is democracy and chains. Who Unre- wrote it? Uh, Nancy McLean. Okay. I've never, if I've you could it. interview her. I will. Whoa. Whoa. It's, I couldn't recommend it. I, I spoke about it for like a half hour on, on an earlier episode. It is shocking what we're up against. Basically Koch brothers and, you know, we're oh. not humans, but, 
I, I can't recommend the book highly enough, and, I, and it is really, really important book, but she doesn't understand MMT. And why it's important in this particular context is because she buys the argument that taxes pay for stuff. And that is the primary argument. Why that's important is because that is the primary argument by these billionaires of why they do the horrible things, the justifying the horrible things they do and want to do. Okay. So Texas don't pay for anything. Um, Enver Hocha in Albania ab abolished all taxes and nothing happened. Right. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Um, okay. So let's begin with our first piece. Okay. Um, and uh, there's a lot to discuss and there's like, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to connect so many things. So, so which one am I getting here? Yep. It's capitalist mockery of the people. Okay. Just start reading. Yep. Okay. You're going to like this because you're a union man. I am. I mean, I'm, Aren't you? I'm not in a union. I'm obviously you, very mind. supportive of unions. My wife's else. in a union. And the only reason that we have stability is because she's in a union. I, um, I, I must have gotten you confused with somebody else. I actually watched um, your, your Sundays with Lennon with um, Paul Knox. Okay. Uh, I, I've been in a chat room, private chat room with him for quite a while. It's, it's, it was cool to see him uh, in person like really that. Really good, isn't he? Yeah. Um, all right. Capitalist, capitalist mockery of the people. Mm -hmm. uh, 1917. The meeting of representatives of the capitalists and workers of the southern mining industry ended on May 23rd. The meeting came to nothing. The capitalists found all the demands of the workers unacceptable. The workers' delegation attending the meeting read a statement disclaiming all responsibility for possible complications. The case is as clear as can be. The crisis has not been averted in the least. The employers have not been curbed. And now we read it would be amusing were it not so sad. <laughs> oh, my God. I've, I've, I always say this, like, it'd be really funny if it weren't true. Like, oh, my God. Lennon said it first. Go figure. <laughs> what, what did he say first? It would be amusing were it not so sad. Oh, oh, oh. that it, it would be amusing if it were not so sad that it had been decided to appoint a committee made up of representatives of the government <laughs> and the two conflicting parties, exclamation point, <laughs> and that the employers have asked for an immediate increase in prices.
Today I talk with Isha Krishnaswamy as a guest on her own show, Late Night with Lennon. Isha has me cold read two pieces written by Lennon more than 100 years ago and describes why they remain important and relevant. Isha is the host of the podcast Historically, which is realistic history, similar to how MMT is realistic economics. You can follow Historically on Twitter at historic underscore ly and historically.substack.com. I've hosted eight episodes for her podcast, links to which you can find in the show notes. The Lenin readings don't start until part two. In part one, we discuss the basics of MMT and how it illuminates the centuries-long battle between rich and poor. MMT reveals that when the rich say, depriving the poor is unfortunate but necessary, what they really mean is, of course we can provide for the poor, we just don't want to. Importantly, MMT makes this clear to average people, not unlike Martin Luther and his papers nailed to the church door during the Reformation. In the same fashion, although with printed paper instead of on social media, Lenin illuminated the same things to average Russian citizens, ultimately leading to a rare successful popular uprising. I admittedly struggle through the readings, with its unusual names and concepts and early 20th century Russian history. Even so, it results in very interesting conversation throughout, all anchored by modern money theory. Finally, as a brief aside, both of our incredible theme music was created by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify. That's W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And now... On to my conversation with Isha Krishnaswamy. Enjoy. <laughs> 